So this morning, we're going to do something we do every now and then called open interviews. And it's very similar to what happens in the uh, interview room, the Hojo, where people come in, sit, and we do some kind of personal um, discussion or I respond to questions and so on. So sometimes we have asked for some volunteers to come and do open inter interviews uh, in uh, uh, um, it's a strong tradition in uh, Hindu tradition and uh, a Buddhist uh, path also. So um, we have someone coming up. So that she'll ask questions and I'll say, I don't know. We'll just come on like that. We'll take my stick just in case you say something I don't care for. Okay. <laughs> I have a question from Dogen. Yes. That is trying to go deeper into something I was yes. asking yesterday. A little louder, please. This is a, a question from... From Dogen Zenji? It, yeah, it's from the fascicle Undivided Activity. And so Dogen is a founder of this, of Soto lineage, for those of you who don't know that. So this is in the middle of the fascicle, and it uses the word birth, and I've heard Dogen say that is birth synonymously with life. Yes. So it reads, birth is just like riding in a boat. You raise the sails and you steer. Although you maneuver the sail and the pole... The boat gives you a ride, and without the boat, you couldn't ride. But you ride in the boat, and your riding makes the boat what it is. Investigate a moment such as this. The question on that is, if they're using the analogy of life, the illusion of controlling the sails and the pole and sailing the boat, mm -hmm. you teach that things are choiceless and just observe. But when we're riding in the boat, is there any way that we can change our attitude, or have the power to do Look at the ropes when you pull up the sail. Look closely at the rope. Look closely at the hands. Don't miss anything. Give everything your attention. Everything. Don't miss anything. Don't, no comment. Don't, don't say, well, that's not necessary. I just need to focus on the sail and the weather and the, and the shoreline. More. When we're living our life, we're sailing the boat. In the midst of it, should we take an attitude or in, in verbal form to... Work with difficulty? Yes. Everything is transformed into wisdom if you vow to save all beings, to be with all Just be with it. Whatever arises, every thought that arises in your mind is a, is a being. Don't, don't uh, obstruct that being or that, that uh, um, thought flotation. Don't obstruct it. Don't agree with it. Don't look away. Don't shut it down. Be with all things. Everything that comes to you, gods and demons, same. Don't separate anything. If you do, then we're right back to, uh, and we're fighting over the fence with the neighbors. We're arguing with our, well, you don't argue with your dog, but some people do argue with your dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, don't set up boundaries that, that then you've got to defend. Walls of the mind, like it says in the Heart Sutra. Don't separate. Go ahead. So you said don't separate. What's separate? Uh, thinking that there's something else or analyzing anything. I'm not saying we shouldn't use some analysis, but it should come out of the awareness rather than our desire to win or get ahead or not lose or look good or whatever the motivation is around that. Go ahead. So if we're not separate, then trimming the sails or riding the boat or living this life, who has the power? What is personal power? I don't know. What do you think? That's why you're asking. What if I said I don't know? <laughs> so... Well, personal power, I think, is a little bit. You can do a little bit. But we're already, there's so much power, there's so much energy and force behind just your birth that is completely undiscoverable. I like the image I often use is the, is the tributaries that, uh, that come down, that, come, that bring us to the mouth of the Amazon. 
the open, still, uh, floating situation where things are just moving, those come, that situation comes from countless numbers of little tiny pieces of power. In other words, moving down out of the mountains and joining together. And to try to trace those back, you can't do that. You have something to say. You have something to ask. Yes. What is it? So you're riding in the boat, and let's say the weather changes all of a sudden to trim the sails or yes. you know, tip over. But if you just sit and observe and watch everything flop around. Uh, that's a comment you're, in, you're interpreting. You're adding to Something is happening and you're adding flopping around to it. Did you see that? Do you do that much? Maybe. I don't know. You don't know? You want me to help you? you sh you're saying flopping around all the time. You're always saying, disagree with me. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> it would have worked better had you done, instead of just halfway, if you'd have done both of them. <laughs> yes, you are. And it's the idea of not stopping that. It's the idea of seeing the way in which you do that so that you can bring awareness into that so that that can actually do what it needs to do uh, without objecting to anything, agreeing with anything, or uh, shutting down anything. Those are the three poisons of passion, aggression, and ignorance. It seems to, to be necessary for us to observe those and watch those so that our own personal agenda about everything begins to dissolve other than the vow to save all beings. You're a monk. You're a fully ordained monk. Your, your life is not your own anymore. It belongs to everyone. Anything else? Next victim. <laughs> <clears throat> Pardon me. You often say, do you trust you? I do. I second guess natural interactions. With what does it look to trust myself? In uh, quite often what happens, and I'm not accusing you of anything, when we have doubt, instead of just, it's just, it's just that, back out, instead of backing out of the, the labeling we call doubt for a particular feeling or emotion or thought, Instead, we add on to it. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Uh, there must be something wrong. And, and all the other uh, commentaries that arise. When from the point of view of a uh, meditator, uh, the idea is to not conclude, come to conclusion about, I shouldn't be, this shouldn't, I shouldn't, must, must be wrong, I must be doing something wrong, uh, rather than just include. Include the doubt. The, the doubt is not something separate from you that happens to you. You are the doubt. More. What if I doubt that? Give yourself a spanking. <laughs> no, I mean, you can, I, I follow you. you. What if I doubt the doubt? I can see where, but it's just kind of like double think. Pull the energy back from that? Sit a lot. How much do you sit every day? How much do you sit every week? 25 hours of sitting, meditation, facing a wall? That's probably enough. <laughs> Are you afraid I would <laughs> So you need to sit a lot. All, everyone. If you're sitting uh, half an hour, an hour a day, it's not nothing wrong with that, but it probably needs to, our whole life, our whole 24 hours a day is constantly used up and ex you're exercising the grasping, the rejecting, and the shutting down muscle all the time. Sit down and uh, exercise the awareness muscle, which does what? Just observe. How does pull away some of that second guessing? <clears throat> it may not pull away the energy, so there's no... There's no guarantee, but it will make it more and more apparent or clear the depth and the structure of that whole situation. So you'll see, you might not be able to go write a book about it. You might not be able to delineate that when you're talking to someone else about it. 
uh, and it's uh, I would say it's even better not to discuss that with anyone. Discuss it with me. I'm your mentor, your teacher. You should discuss it, but I wouldn't discuss it too much with anyone else. Oh, you can say I feel like crap. You see how that is? When we do that, we start to substitute the, the words and phrases for the actual situ, the actual texture. We start to cover up the raw feeling of being of having difficulty with our ideas about it and the way we're describing it. Of what naturally comes out is that feeling. Yes. What is the fear of not being? Actually, that's being genuine. As long as you don't add to it, don't do anything with it. You have to. You're going to stub your toes. You're going you're gonna to step on sharp objects as you tread the path. We're not trying to change the path into a, an escalator. We're trying to work with things as they arise. So those kind of feelings and emotions, are, just include them. They're not signs that you're doing something wrong. They're just signs that you're, you're living. And you're, you're, the expression of your Buddha nature is coming through and receiving uh, a physical form. You're embodied. The Buddha nature is embodied in a very simple relative form called uh, anything unless you have to. I tend to let that into gross actions. Action. Don't go to the mall unless you have to or something. I don't know. Unless you're out of potato chips. Unless you're out of potato. Um, but how can we practice that in a more subtle way? Like what you don't have to a thought or mm -hmm. don't have to. So it seems to be helpful to uh, the other the thing that I say is give everything your attention. It helps that if you can give everything your attention, then you can see very, very, in a very subtle way, the way in which you continue to add on to cover things up. Add on to passion, take away from a judge, aggression, or shut down on, or dismiss, or distract yourself from, which is ignorance. So if you're giving everything your attention, every time you move your hand, you know that you're doing it. It's not about saying, I shouldn't be moving my hand. It's not about a right or wrong situation. It's more seeing what's going on. And if you don't add on to anything, then your mind is not full of a lot of extra elaborations. It's just completely being flooded with everything that's happening. Right now I'm watching her hands move and that pen move at the same time I'm watching you and I'm seeing that there's not much movement going. Well, some Peter move. So it doesn't mean that you, this is some kind of a test. Are you seeing everything that's happening? I'm not saying that. It's just a, the attitude of including tends to, it's kind of like, uh, to use the metaphor of a changing gears kind of thing. It's, it's like you, you, you've just kind of gone into neutral so that you're more, everything else is, has a whole sway rather than your own mental fabrications and elaborations, the chattering. That, that probably will not slow down unless you spend a lot of time, as you're doing. 25 hours a week is quite a bit of sitting meditation. You're not lying to me, right? I think so. <laughs> Get a watch. She's sitting that much. Eno. <laughs> you would disagree. You're the Eno. <laughs> so again, it's 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 really up to you. You if you were sitting less than that, it wouldn't, there's nothing wrong with it. Everything is happening. Everything is dependently arisen. So the the idea here is to. I think if you sat every single time, you should be sitting about thirty what thirty six hours. Or so. so there's this, it's, huh low thirties. So this, this is a monastery. It's not a it's not something else. It's a monastery. So we have really intense training here, if you want to do it. The people who live here, as some of you know, are required to sit as much of that schedule as they can. 25 hours is quite a bit when you consider that Junchu also has a job, not only away from here, but also has jobs within the monastery. <clears throat> but it seems necessary to sit down 
hold still, watch what moves. I'm not saying there aren't just literally dozens, probably hundreds of different ways of, of training the mind with all the different traditions. 2,500 years ago, the Buddha began this particular um, Buddha Dharma Sangha, this particular lineage of teaching. And there's been all kinds of interpretations because it is a cumulative tradition. So therefore, you can, if you go to Grand Rapids, you go to Detroit or go to any place else, there's another Sangha. There's not only another way of looking or addressing or or uh, presenting the Buddhist teachings, uh, but there's different, uh, uh, just all kinds of elaborations and techniques and so on. And that's why one of the reasons why, having been exposed to quite a bit of that myself through my teachers, we keep it very simple. A lot of hours don't do much. Sit down, hold still. Everyone already has, everyone's Buddha nature is also already available. It's just a matter of uh, seeing it. And a lot of times the, the path to seeing that involves facing a lot of difficulty that you don't do anything with. If you're, if you're headed for... Uh, um, um, or is that one place in Canada? Nova Scotia. If you're headed for Nova Scotia, and every time you run into problems, you stop and wrestle around with stuff and, and uh, argue with the signpost and argue with the, the bumps in the road, you know, like that, then, you know, you just need to just include them. That's just part of the, the path. Just continue to go. Anything that happens to you is absolutely correct. Anything that any karma, or whatever you want to call it, that comes to you, uh, you're not getting a raw deal from anything. And everything that's happening is happening because of causes and conditions. The amazing thing about it is once you see this, then you can begin to liberate yourself from that situation by seeing your true nature is not separate from the Buddha, the awakened one. He was smiling, so I figured he probably saw where I just made it. (laughs) Did I make a mistake? Never. <laughs> Never. My nose is brown. Mine's long. <laughs> Further questions? It's 33. That's what it adds up to if you sat all the time. And 3 and 3 is 6. So that's kind of some kind of mystical thing. Someone else would like to come up and... Come on, David. Or Brad, I should say. <laughs> I called David Brad yesterday. I think I knew him as Brad in a past life. <clears throat> so, it seems to be the problem. Uh, <laughs> the fourth reminder. Oh, the fourth reminder. Part of it. Uh, can you recite it? There's a part I, I can, re- to be sure I could recite it, I wrote it down first. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. That's why uh, you have a, a degree in philosophy, business oh, administration. Yeah, political, public. All that stuff. Yeah. All that stuff. All right. um, what is it? The part that says, "Just like when, uh, just like the feast before the executioner leads you to your death, I will cut desire and attachment and attain enlightenment through exertion." Yes. What is uh, the feast part of that? I think what's being addressed. Uh, this is a, these are the four reminders that uh, um, that have to do with the precious human birth. Uh, with impermanence, with karma, and the one he's talking about is the fourth one, which is uh, to do with suffering. And uh, he's he's uh, talking about the imagery that's used there. Uh, uh, execu- before the executioner leads you to your death, um, cut. De- uh, how does it go? Cut desire and attachment. And so the the feast is just everything is going fine. You're doing everything is good. You just got on a promotion. Your uh, you know everything is is good. So I think it's the images there is because of the contrast. We think we're doing so good. We're alive. We're here. Our health is good. 
or maybe not so good, or our health, our health is getting better, or our children are doing well, or as I said, we just got a raise. So it's kind of a feast. Everything is great. And then all of a sudden, because of impermanence, things go flop. And then everything, maybe someone really close to you that you depend on, love and everything, dies. Uh, so everything just goes to pieces. And, uh, and it's every transition, every time you, every time you uh, have a thought, it's a birth and a death and a birth and a death. We're being born and dying moment by moment. So further question about that? How does, how does the birth and death uh, enhance looking at that? How does that enhance practice? Because you start to realize how completely impermanent everything is. Nothing lasts. Even the most intense suffering will not last. But it will be extended if you fight with it. Sometimes difficulty is extended for long, long stretches of time because we object to it. We fight called warfare. We object to it in ourselves. We object to it out in the world. But if we just if we do nothing with it, you know, then other people around you might call you names because you're a coward or something like that. But that's based on their projections, not on what's happening with you in your life. And then cutting to go a little further, cutting desire and attachment doesn't mean you're actually cutting desire and attachment. What happens if you see the way that that way desire and attachment works fundamentally cuts itself? <laughs> You just you, you it's, it's just you see it so clearly that you see that when you do something operating on desire that you're actually sticking your hand into fire. That's how clearly you see it. You're running into a burning house, which is a, a traditional image for samsara in Buddhism. Don't do that. Is is the exertion running into a burning? The exertion to what? The it's just the last part says to attain enlightenment through. Exertion. I think the exertion. Uh, the best way to say it is just train your mind. Rather than be some kind of image like that, running into the burning house is someone who's not training their mind. They're dependent on cause and effect, and they're hoping for good things and, and fearing bad things. Most people operate that way. Children operate that way. And, and then if, they're, if they have the good fortune to be around adults who are able to help them, they can train them uh, and encourage them to, uh, to not necessarily go in that particular direction. What is um, being an adult to practice? Um, being an adult in terms of practice. <clears throat> so it would be basically, to put it very literally, not caving into uh, passion, aggression, and ignorance, even though it arises, not caving into jealousy as, as something like you're right and the other person's wrong, and being very clear about your petty mind, petty thought patterns about everybody. We see them all the time. You can't walk through a room full of people without projecting onto them. You may not believe it. You may project and then well, it's not really true. Or you might see, you might, your ability to see through your own uh, um, projections might be so powerful um, that you, there wouldn't be any comment. You just, you fundamentally know that it's not true. And when that, when that situation begins to happen, uh, you could have all kinds of negativity looking to be transformed. All kinds of demons might be knocking on your door. I see you're helping everything else. But how about helping me? I just asked, uh, answered a question you didn't ask. Is there uh, projections included in the... Sure. It's just used as a, I think, as a, a metaphor for something. Really, things, things are really great. It actually addresses the, the, of the three types of suffering. The first is suffer, or the pain of pain, which we all know about that. Hurts. <laughs> and the pain of... Uh, the last one is the pain of the composite, which means that all... all uh, compounded things, which we are uh, appearing this way, uh, will come apart, vanish, die. That's, and that's uh, all pervasive. There's nobody lives forever. 
And then the middle one, which is being addressed there, is the pain of alternation. The pain of alternation is everything's really good. The traditional example for that is like a feast. You're at a wedding and suddenly the 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 veranda that there's 20 guests out on the veranda all celebrating and raising their glasses and celebrating and because of poor construction it collapses and they pass away so that's pain of alternation that's one of them there's different ways of looking at that there's the fear that things are going to change things are really great that's not going to last it's like half a bowl of ice cream still ice cream still tastes good it's almost gone <laughs> that's my example what what holds the composite together while it lasts. Uh, who says it's held together? What is what is the appearance being held together? Exactly, thank you, it's just appearance. It just looks like something's happening. This is, this, is a, this is an illusion, this is an extension. Your actual dream at night is more real than this because that dream can't be destroyed. This one can be. You can't destroy something that is unreal. <laughs> cool, huh? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. We have some time. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. yeah. Yes. Sure. Yeah. You sit in a chair. I did sit in a chair. Okay. Okay. You know what? What? Do you know what the physiological situation is? Okay. Yeah. But there is something going on that's phys- physiological. Okay. Yeah. So what was your name? Mary. Mary So um, something that's often missed is uh, the most important thing about uh, training the mind, uh, body-mind complex, this whole situation is silence and stillness. So find a, a way to be, find whatever position that may be and maybe laying down. So when you do that, uh, hold as still as you can and just observe what moves. So if you, if you can do a little bit facing the wall, uh, just even a short period of time, even a minute or two minutes, and then transition to something more comfortable and then come back to facing the wall. Slowly bring yourself back to the wall, just to the sitting posture like this over and over again and see if your body won't respond to that, that moving back and holding still. So it's about the stillness and it's about the setting. You're setting up, a, you could say artificial, but it's really not an artificial contrast between you're holding very still so you can see that dimension of the mind that is uh, that is much, much deeper uh, and, and it's much more obvious if there's no, if you're moving your hand just like talking like this, you're totally in this three-dimensional space. But if you stop moving everything and leave all the senses open over time, and it might be quite a bit of time, you will eventually start to see the information or the karma or the deep structure of your own particular life and what that's all about. Probably even get in touch more with uh, your physiological situation. There's no guarantees of that. But body, mind are not separate. They just look like it. And so what we do is we kind of artificially separate that through sitting practice and meditation. So I would say if you can find a way to hold still, even for short periods of time, and just observe what moves. Usually it's just thought patterns coming and going, or memories or evaluations, or, or thoughts about your body and how it's feeling. You know, that'll take you in many, many circles around and around. More? Because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about, like, because I do, because the, the only exposure that I've had to Buddhism so far has been to Yang. Uh-huh. And it's a, a lot about the breath, get you bring the breath, and yeah. back to the breath. And that's kind of what I've been practicing on yeah. And I find that that is soothing to some degree. But when I was sitting here, I didn't have a wall. I had a window. Yeah. But, um, window sign. Um, 
even bringing that in, I, I noticed that lessened the pain a little bit, but it still yeah. doesn't. I, I guess my fear is, is that the pain will never go away and I won't be able to sit. Might not, yeah. So uh, I don't, uh, I have with all respect for Thich Nhat Hanh, I, I don't teach that. I don't teach, I actually taught the following the breath technique for close to three decades. I was taught that myself uh, by my teachers a long time ago. Um, I don't do that anymore. And the reason I don't do that is difficult to explain, but um, to put it very simply, it, it creates a meditator. It creates an identity of someone who can meditate and it, and it doesn't allow you to go into your own personal causes and conditions. The, the, not doing anything, shikantaza is, a, is an advanced technique and it's not easy to do. It takes uh, a, a connection with a teacher, a connection with a sangha, it takes an environment to be able to pra practice that in. And Thich Nhat Hanh has his people that are uh, love him and practice under him, and they're helped by him. So I'm not objecting to what he's doing. It's just I don't I don't do. <laughs> well, he's a he's a cute guy. He really is. He's just a. Well, then you should do you should you should do whatever is helpful to you. Yeah. Well, you can. You're, you're welcome. Uh, do you live in the area? So. So if you do come to the area, you're always, you can come here and practice sitting meditation. You never have to, you know, if you're, you can be a student of Thich Nhat Hans forever and still use this space to practice in. Most important thing is to practice. You know, there's no club here to join. There's not even any membership. So that's extra. You know, we don't do that. Anything else? Thank you. Any further? Um, Certainly. So where we live, um, we are often... Our goal is to review our personality and look at our personality. Yes. Um, and so by identifying things that I would like to change about my personality yeah. or the way that I cope with things or do things, is that meddling? So what we're doing is, you know, there's lots of ways, as I said earlier, lots of ways of working with the mind. And uh, meditation is, you know, I'm very biased in this area. I think you should train your mind. but. I don't know. You know, we have our own lives, and people go different directions with different ideas about doing that. And uh, and you're talking about uh, moral inventory, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. And so, uh, quite often in uh, um, rehab situations, they'll use moral inventory or a cognitive behavioral because they're really trying to change something they think is real, which is the ego, mm -hmm. trying to make it a healthy ego. Mm -hmm. And what we're doing here is we're trying to see reality actually what what that actually is and that's to ego that's a little frightening ego would rather turn around and let's go back and let's just figure things out much much more reasonable so uh and my position if i have one on that is you should trust yourself if this is helpful to you and it, and it relieves some of your suffering or difficulty it gives you, it helps you feel like your life is more workable you can more work with the issues in your life that are challenging or difficult or upset things then you should do that I mean, I think it would be good to include some awareness practice in there, uh, but <clears throat> I wouldn't disagree with that because it's uh, not helpful to do that. I'm not here to argue about some. But so it's not if you were a student of mine, you know, you're a formal student and you'd ask me to function as your teacher. I probably would have you stop doing that. So but it doesn't mean you should stop. <laughs> Misunderstand. Right. You, should, you should continue to do that. Okay, thank you. Again. So if senses are open yes. and I'm paying, yes. what is fixation on the rope? And fixation on the rope, mm -hmm. how 
<clears throat> it could operate out of lots of things. It could operate just out of ignorance, not wanting to see anything else. I got something here. It's my reference point. I'm just going to stay with this. This works. I'm staying right here. I don't want any scary things coming in out of the woods across the lake. So it's that kind of a, you know, it's a, it's a sophisticated form of ignorance called distraction. And we will even invent, we get very inventive about our distraction. Sometimes you can even turn it into a, into a philosophy and write books on it, ways to be distracted. I'm okay, you're okay, those kind of distractions. <laughs> so it doesn't make them wrong. It makes that they're just working with relative truth in a different way. Maybe sophisticated, maybe may work well, may not, may work for a little while. And then I think it's good to, to use, bring as much awareness to everything as we can so that we can see more closely how we're being distracted. So it's not about getting rid of the distraction. This is why the sitting practice of meditation, if it's done extensively over long periods of time, eventually that pretty hard to, to distract yourself from anything if there's a lot of awareness going on. A lot of awareness is really prioritized. It's like the image I often use is instead of being so focused on the clouds and the, the weather in the sky, we're, if we have any focus at all, it's on the sky. So we're, sometimes it's even said, mind like the sky. That way the clouds can do whatever they want. More. Certainly not. Yeah, I follow you. <clears throat> um, probably only if they're dead. Not funny. <clears throat> so what I'm saying is, is if they're if they're just not there, if they're there and they're, you know, we have to we have to meet them where they're at. And if they're having trouble, then we're going to have trouble. It's not about staying away and staying aloof and being some kind of a you know made of stone where we're not affected by emotions. No, it's more like being being with whatever's arising. It's called compassion. And it has to come out of your awareness and out of your heart and not out of your head or your gut. It has to come out of a place that doesn't think. This doesn't think. Uh, this is a fraidy cat down here. And so, this is, huh? no, you. So Doing what? Somewhat. This, uh, the idea is uh, you're sitting. Uh, instruction is just watch what moves. And, if, and, and don't add on to anything. Don't do any math at all. Sit, watch what moves. If you're following your breath, uh, it's not that that's wrong. That will tend to pacify you for a while and, and, and make you feel better. But it's not about feeling good. It's about seeing what the basic situation is. It's like if you have a problem and you find a way to just make everything feel okay, that's then the problem is still there. And the way you know it's there is when when the world comes start when part of your world starts to break up and fall apart. Suddenly, all of that that hidden aggression, passion, aggression, and ignorance that you've been able to cover over with the uh, following your breath or creating some kind of a strong meditator situation uh, tends to come apart. It's just been my experience. That's what happens. I have a bunch of it experience that. And so that, that's how it looks. So that's why I've slowly over, even though I was trained to teach that way in 1978, I still, I just don't do that anymore because I don't think it's fundamentally helpful. More? I didn't even answer your question. You should have more. <laughs> so, my, so, okay, I'll Well, of course. Is that a so, yes? Yeah. yeah, that's word. Go ahead. Sitting in yes. Sitting in you. Yes. So the practice. Yes. Is sitting is sitting at the wall practicing. Oh yes, it would be. But but that but you have you can't practice just sitting in front of another person. You could if the in front of a teacher if the teacher will hold still that long. You could. Is there? I mean, when they're flailing. Yeah. In my mind, the wall. <laughs> That's fine. You should watch it. You just sit and watch Watch your mind flail. There really isn't anybody but you. Everything else is a projection of you. 
you know, it, it's just a simple way of saying it. I'm not saying there aren't other people, but we tend to project onto people so heavily, we can't actually see. Like, some, have you ever noticed some people talk to you and they, they're talking to their idea of you? And they never really, you could all, it's almost like you could run away and they'd still be talking to the space that you were just in. Their, their projection on you is so intense. Quite often it's this or whatever. So we need to go to the next uh, set. We're, we're going to, why don't you explain it, Daniel? May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize. 